Well, hope you're, I'm glad you're here. Um, if you're here for the first time, uh, we're, we're thankful that you're here with us today. Um, you know, today we're in a story that has helped bring a lot of clarity uh, to what I believe God has called us to here in Tampa. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an excellent story about the woman at the well in Samaria, uh, but it's also, strangely enough, the longest conversation with Jesus and a person, um, which makes this a very significant story. Um, it's a story with several different scenes. Um, we're not going to go into the depths of every scene. Uh, we would need about three to four sermons to do that, uh, but rather we're going to look at it all together. And I think it's, 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 it's a really powerful story when you look at it all as one collective story. And what I love about this story is that what we see Jesus uh, do is, is he turns a, uh, a lady um, who's a, whose life is a complete mess. Uh, we see that she encounters Jesus and then she then becomes a missionary which is exactly what Jesus does. He turns messes into missionaries, uh, which is what we want to see done over and over and over again here at New City. You know, we saw two weeks ago, um, Jesus encounter a religious um, social elite named Nicodemus. Um, And then here today, we see uh, Jesus encounter a woman who was viewed as a religious and social outcast. Uh, But in both instances, with both people, we see Jesus radically transform their lives. And so we're going to dive headfirst into this passage, but before we get into it, one of the things I think we can all agree on as we look out into our world uh, is that there seems to be a natural confusion that happens with life. Uh, there's a soul thirsting and longing that every human experiences. You know, I, don't, I don't care how established uh, you are and put together your life may be, there is not a single person on this planet that doesn't look out our world and think uh, something's not right. Something about our world is broken. Global pandemics, world uh, wars, economic and political crises, families falling apart, marriages and relationships are strained, uh, work is toilsome. And you know what often happens? Because of the brokenness of the world, at times it can seem confusing. Feeling like we're just wandering around at times. Uh, And it makes our souls thirsty, so to speak. Longing for something to quench it. And again, I don't care who you are, how great your life may seem. There is a weariness and thirsting to life. Like we all see it. We see it relationally, emotionally, physically, mentally, financially, and on and on. And what I believe may be one of the greatest testimonies to the Christian faith is how Christianity speaks into the weariness and thirsting of life. It provides hope. And it all, it's, it's able to make a real life tangible transformation uh, in a person's life that can fuel them with purpose. Again, as we'll see today, we'll see God take a lady who is a hot mess and turn her into a fearless missionary. And as we'll see, Jesus is the thirst quencher that quenches the thirsting and longing that we all have deep down in our hearts, which leads us to our main idea today. Jesus came to revive a thirsty world. And I think, we all not, I think we all understand this concept of soul thirst uh, because we understand the concept of physical thirst. Jesus does this often. He, he uses physical realities and he explains spiritual realities. And we've all been thirsty before at some point. Uh, and, when we really, uh, and, and when we're really thirsty, we'll do almost anything possible uh, to quench our thirst. Two weeks ago on Halloween night, uh, five middle school boys knocked on my door. Around 9.30 at night, kids were in bed. They were begging for water. Uh, they, they walked a couple miles into our neighborhood uh, to go trick-or-treating. They got their candy, and then they, they needed to walk several miles back, but they didn't have any water. So they banged on the door. I walk out. Um, they begged for water. They were dressed up like demons. I saw their desperation. 
Um, I had a little fun with them. I asked them a, a few silly questions, um, and eventually I gave them bottles of water, uh, and they thanked me about 15 times, and uh, hopefully they made it home. Uh, I guess the punchline of the story is, yes, I, your pastor, on Halloween night, blessed a bunch of little thirsty demons. <laughs> <laughs> but I say that uh, because we've all been there, right? Uh, not the thirsty demon part, right? Uh, but at some point, we've been thirsty and desperate for water. And we understand what it means to thirst. And in our story today, Jesus takes that physical reality and explains a spiritual reality, showing how, we can, how he came in to revive and refresh a spiritually thirsty world. And so we're going to walk through the story. We're going to pick it apart, uh, but we're going to look at the entire story. It's, all, it's 45 verses. There's three, we're going to look at it in three different scenes. And y'all have completely embraced uh, the preacher alliteration thing today. Um, and so we've got three W's, uh, the woman, the well, and the witness. That's where we're going, okay? The first two points will come from the first half of the story, and the last point will come uh, from the last half of the story. And as we get, um, as we get through this, I'm not gonna, as we go through this, I'm not going to read it all. Um, I'll read most of it, but we are going skip, to skip around some. And just to point out, if we were to read the first several verses of the story, we'd see that Jesus uh, was leaving the baptism scene uh, that we looked at last week, uh, which is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be baptizing people at the end of our service. Yeah, praise God, we're excited for this. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, but Jesus, he was on his way uh, back to Galilee where the wedding from chapter two was. Uh, and look what it says, in, starting in verse three. It says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And something that we need to grasp here is that these details are significant. The author said he had to pass through Samaria. And then he also mentioned a guy named Jacob uh, at the beginning of verse 6. He writes, uh, and Jacob's well was there. Uh, but for us, we may just glaze over this, not thinking anything of it. But for the people there, these details said a lot. Because the city of Samaria, it had a very long history. And this, uh, and this was where Jacob's well was, uh, which we can read about back in uh, Genesis 29, where Jacob meets his wife, Rachel. Uh, it, was a sacred, uh, it was a sacred place, a special place for Jewish people. Uh, but as history progressed, we see in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17 and 18 that this land, it was soon taken over by the Assyrians and the Jews were shipped out and deported out of Samaria and the Assyrians brought in foreigners into the land and they intermarried with the surviving Jews. And so from a historical uh, Jewish perspective during this time, Samaria was a, a place that was heavily tainted. Historically, politically, and religiously, it was not, uh, this was not a place that brought happy thoughts. Because in Samaria, with all the intermarrying that was going on, there was a heavy adoption of others, other religions that were mixed in with Judaism. Uh, again, Samaria, it was a hated place. That as a Jew, you just did not go. Like There was some ethnic tension here. It was thick. However, in order to get back to Galilee from Jerusalem, you had to go through Samaria. Some historians have said uh, Samaria was hated so much by the Jews that instead of taking the fast route through Samaria, they would add a few days journey and walk around the entire region, taking the much longer, uh, more difficult route, crossing rivers just to avoid going through Samaria. And to say, to say that Samaria was a crosstown rival, that's an understatement. It was a hated place. It was, there were hated people. But Jesus, he doesn't go around Samaria, he decides to go through it. 
And look what it says in verse 6, in the first part of verse 7. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his, from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So Jesus was tired, he was weary, he was sitting beside this uh, well-known historical well, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Again, it seems like a minor statement, but the tension here, for those that knew the history, the tension in the story at this point would have been very well noticed. Like if this were a movie, uh, this is where the music stops, showing the tension in the story. Again, these, these details here, they speak loudly. It was the sixth hour. It was noon, the hottest part of the day. And Jesus, a Jew, was in Samaria, a hated place, and a woman comes up to him. And this woman is not only a Samaritan, but this person was a woman. And during this time, during this culture, it was unusual for men to speak to women, especially in religious circles. You know, religious conversations with men to men uh, were accepted, but religious conversations with men and women together, that was a no-no. It was considered inappropriate. In fact, many strict rabbis refused to greet women in public. Uh, there are records of Pharisees who, who were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they walked around and covered their eyes when they saw women in public, and because of it, they ran into walls and houses. I guess th they got what they deserved. You know, but as we'll uh, see in a second, Jesus comes in and completely de debunks this and shows us a different way. Look what Jesus does, picking up in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so not only does Jesus speak uh, to what many would have considered a culturally hated Samaritan, but Jesus also crossed cultural lines by speaking to this woman. And we even see later in verse 27, when the disciples come back, it says they marveled he was speaking to a woman, which all of this leads us to our first point. Number one, the woman. Jesus was a man. She was a woman. Jesus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. But then also, what I also want to point out was that Jesus is the son of God and she was an outcast. You know, I mentioned earlier, all this happened at noon, the hottest part of the day. Um, and y'all, women didn't go to the well during this time. You know, as my uh, good old Southern grandmother would say, Southern girls don't sweat, uh, they glisten. Um, and at noon, there was some good old glistening happening um, under the hot Middle Eastern sun, noontime sun. Uh, and not only this, women, they typically didn't go alone. And they certainly didn't go draw water at the hottest part of the day. And it's likely she was there during this time because it was expected that nobody else would be there because she likely felt some sort of shame. Going there at normal hours with all the other women, uh, just maybe there would have been some talking behind her back. And what we'll see is that this lady, she, made, uh, she had some extensive bad history with men. Let's skip down to verses 16 to 18 to see more of this. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. To say that this lady had some relational struggles would be an understatement. She had five failed marriages. And at this moment, she is in another likely bad relationship. So 
So why was she at the well at noon? Because she didn't want to see all the faces of all the other women. She needed water, and she was very likely hiding and avoiding everybody. And she felt shame. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. She's, her, her life was a complete mess. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you think this is how my life often seems, like a complete mess. Or maybe you have a close friend or a family member in this boat, or maybe you haven't had five husbands, but maybe you know a similar struggle that this woman has felt, maybe with relationships, or maybe you haven't had five husbands, but maybe pornography has gripped you. Or maybe your vice of choice is drinking or eating or entertainment or sports or work or approval. You know, every one of us have things that we're drawn to, just like this woman, that, we'll, uh, that we look to, that we hope will fulfill us. And it doesn't seem to work. Because the next day or the next morning, the tank is left on empty again. Or maybe like this woman, you feel shame or rejection or like an outcast or maybe like you don't fit in. Or maybe like the heated Jew and Samaritan history, you know exactly what this tension has felt. This would be like modern day racism or ethnocentrism or political rivals or family feuds and friend feuds and longstanding dissensions. Maybe you have a sibling or a friend where there's a long history of division. Or maybe there's a family member uh, that you're struggling to forgive. New City Church, this woman is a small picture that characterizes so many of our life situations. And the interaction with Jesus and this woman is what following Jesus should innately do. You know, the picture we see here in this story with Jesus crossing enemy territory, reaching out to an outcast and having a relationship and interacting with someone who is completely different than us. Y'all, this should be the norm. The heart and picture that Jesus shows by reaching out to this woman If the Holy Spirit is inside of us, this is the same heart and picture that the Spirit of God should cultivate within us. Y'all, in our marriages, in our relationships, friendships, whatever it is, the heart of God is always to cut through division. The heart of God does not run away from tension. The heart of God unites hostility, it heals shame, and it restores brokenness. And this woman was wounded. She was displaced. She was rejected. She was an outcast. She was weary. She was confused. She was hated because of her ethnicity. And what did Jesus do? He sat down with her and spoke to her. And he sought to bring healing to her. Well, there's no reason Jesus should have done this except for the fact that he is the visible expression of the heart of God. (laughs) In New City Church, the heart of God steps into brokenness. It doesn't run from it. The heart of God seeks to heal hurt, not shun it or shame it or ignore it. Without a doubt, we see that Jesus came and entered into a weary and thirsty world. And what Jesus did with this woman is what Jesus desires to do with each of us. This is what Jesus desires to do with your friend, with your neighbor, with your classmate, with your coworker, with your family member. This is what Jesus desires to do for the 50,000 college students at USF for the 21,000 high school students within eight miles of where we meet right now, for all the families, young professionals, and retirees that are all around us, this is what Jesus desires to do with the million people who are within about 20 to 25 minutes right here where we meet right now. And you know what? 
No matter where we are, no matter where we've been, or what others, uh, what, what, uh, where, where others are, where they have been, no matter what vices may exist, Jesus wants to enter in. Jesus doesn't push us away. No, Jesus draws us in. But we must ask, what does he do when he draws us in? Look what Jesus says. After she brings up that he, a Jewish man, was speaking to her. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew that the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have, been give, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus here is pointing out she doesn't fully know what she's ta- who she's talking to. Like she doesn't get it. This lady, she's missing it. Jesus is drawing her in, but she doesn't know what he's doing. Because if she knew who Jesus was and what he gives, she would be asking him for water, for living water, for a different kind of water that would quench her spiritual thirst. But she wasn't getting it. She was confused. Look what what Jesus says back. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so think about what Jesus said. When you drink physical water from a well, we will inevitably be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the spiritual water that Jesus gives, they will never be thirsty again. And the next statement that he said is important. Like the water that Jesus gives is not like a cup of spiritual water that once it's gone, it's gone. But rather, he says he will give him a spring of water. He gives him a source of spiritual water that will always be there forever. And I think think this is important because it's not that we'll never have spiritual thirst with Jesus, but rather when we walk with Jesus, if we do thirst, it's because we're going to the wrong source. Because the source of spiritual water is always there. And we should never be thirsty again because we have eternal access to the source. But yet those who follow Jesus, I think, could affirm we, we do still thirst. We do have a longing that sometimes is not fulfilled. And so we need to ask, why are we still thirsty? And why do we still experience weariness and struggles? Why? Because we often go to the wrong source. Because we go to the wrong well, which leads us to number two, the well. Jesus was at a well searching for physical water for his own weary and tired body, but Jesus was telling this woman, hey, there is a different and there is a better well. And with that source of living water at that well, you will never be thirsty again because it's always there. Jesus was saying he is the well. He is the source of eternal life that will always quench our spiritual thirst. Again, there are two wells that Jesus is pointing out. There's the physical well that provides physical water that will eventually run out. And then there's the spiritual well that comes from Jesus, the eternal source of living water. And the the lady says, give me that living water. I want that water. But notice what she says. She says, so that I will never have to come here, the physical well, to draw water. Like she missed it. She still doesn't get it. She's thinking physical water, not spiritual water. And so what does Jesus do? 
He took this theoretical idea of living water and he brought it down to real life. And so instead of talking more about the living water, he he showed her, I would say, a third well. It wasn't actually a well, but he showed her another source where she, was, where she has searched for life. Jesus shows her the well she had been drawing from that hasn't been quenching her spiritual thirst. Look what Jesus says. We read this earlier. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus showed her her third well. And what was this lady's third well that Jesus wanted to show her? It's that the relationships with the men in her life, they weren't working. The well of longing to be desired and wanted and cherished by the men in her life, it was a faulty well and she knew it. She had five failed marriages. And Jesus was pointing it out. Jesus showed her that her third well, her faulty source. And so New City Church, let's ask the question in each of our lives, what is that third well in our life? Like what empty wells do we often run to? What is it? Is it sex, money, power, affirmation, pornography, drinking, partying, men, women, success, approval, status? What is it? Jesus has said he's the source of living water. And if we're following Jesus, y'all, we have access to the source, yet we often grow to the wrong well. You know, I just imagine those middle school boys banging on my door on Halloween night, um, saying they're thirsty, but yet they have a bottle of water in their hands. And they keep saying, please, I'm thirsty. Help me, I'm thirsty. I keep eating this candy, but I'm still thirsty. All the while, they have the bottle of water right there in their hands. I mean, this would seem silly, right? Like, uh, like they've lost their minds. And y'all, as Christians, that's exactly what we do. We're thirsty. Our souls are thirsty. Everything in our life is telling us our souls are thirsty. And, yet, and we have access to the living water. We have the bottle of water in our hands. We have Jesus, the living water. Yet we still go to the wrong source. And this is what Jesus is telling this woman. You're going to the wrong source. Jesus is the eternal well of living water, yet as we'll see, she still doesn't get it. So let's read the next eight verses in our story. And honestly, y'all, this this part of the story kind of feels a bit out of nowhere. Um, If you ask, you know, all week long, I really just wanted to skip this part uh, and keep moving because of the complexity and it feels like an aside of what we're trying to see today. Um, It just seems kind of random. Um, but when this happens in the Bible, it should cause us to stop uh, and dig and be curious. So look at, look at verses 19 to 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Y'all, there's so much here. And it it kind of feels completely out of 
out of nowhere. Um, Jesus was talking about living water and points her to a relationship problem. And she says, uh, sir, I see that you're a prophet. And then she seems to deflect the conversation towards a mountain in Jerusalem and worship. Um, and there's a disagreement over why this, there is some disagreement over why this conversation comes up. Um, some have said she, maybe she realized her sin and was looking for a place to make a sacrifice. Others have said she was deflecting from a hard life situation uh, and deflecting with a theological and philosophical question, ignoring the real problem. And, and right or wrong, I think we can agree that this is what most people do with Christianity covering up the, the real issues with a philosophical one. You know, it oft, oftentimes, it's not an apologetics issue. It's typically a lifestyle or a moral issue. You know, I see this all the time with college students and high school students and adults of all ages. Right? They, they say they, want to follow Christ, they don't want to follow Christ, maybe because of something like the problem of evil. But the real issue, most of the time, is because they would rather have sex and party without limitations as much as they want. And they don't want following Jesus to hold them back. Uh, but just like the candy, it may taste good for a moment, but it certainly doesn't quench our thirst. And maybe that's happening here with this woman. But the, whatever the reason is for this woman bringing up this conversation, we see that Jesus engages her in the conversation and he uses it to continue to teach her about the well of living water, but in a different way. In fact, I would argue that this conversation that seems to be a random conversation about worship is actually the key to the whole story. Because after this conversation, it all clicked. And she leaves a changed person. And so what happened? Well, simply put, she was led to truly worship Jesus. She started to understand worship. She saw Jesus as the Messiah. She saw uh, who Jesus was, and it changed her. And in short, Jesus here is showing her that worship is no longer about a place, but a person. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. And Jesus, a person, the well of living water, is starting to tell her and show her more practically what this well of living water looks like. Like this well, it's not a stale religion, it's an intimate relationship. Jesus is showing her and us that the, whole, that the way to having our souls revived and refreshed and renewed is through worship. We worship our way out of weariness. We worship our way out of the wilderness. We worship our way out of a state of wandering. And when we're wounded, God heals our wounds with worship. Because as we say often, Jesus knows we were created to worship. So how, did, how, how do we know we were created to worship? Because we all have a deep yearning and a soul thirsting deep down inside of us. And worship is the longing and awe and satisfaction we find when that thirst is quenched. Worship is delighting. Worship is satisfaction. It's gazing upon God. It's drinking deeply upon the one who satisfies. But like we said, we often worship the wrong thing. We go to the wrong well. And Jesus is showing her that Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the one who will quench our soul thirst forever. And here in this seemingly random interaction, Jesus is beginning to show her and us how God quenches our thirst, our spiritual thirst. Jesus is showing her this is how you draw water from his well. This is how we worship out of our weariness. This is how we're refreshed from the well. This is how our hearts and souls are revived. We worship, but what does that mean? Like, how do we worship? And the punchline of this entire scene is in verses 23 and 24. Look at it. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, uh, worship in spirit and truth. And maybe you're thinking how I've been all week, thinking, okay, great, but I don't get it. Jesus said, God is seeking people, seeking for people to worship him, and we must worship him in spirit and truth. He says it twice. So this is what we're saying, okay? Our souls are refreshed by worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And it's like, okay, great, what does that mean? And I think the truth part makes sense. Like we need to know what is true and right in order to be refreshed by it. We need, we need to know that water quenches our thirst, not candy. Like in order for us to be refreshed by Jesus, we have to see Jesus for who he truly is. We need to know the difference between water and salt water. We need to know the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came down to earth as the son of God and lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the dead. And by believing in Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we're given eternal life. We're given access to the eternal source by believing in Jesus. We need to know all the truths about God in order for us to properly worship him. This is why reading the Bible and Bible teaching and preaching and Bible studies are so important. This is why we teach the Bible so heavily here and spend so much time each week under the teaching of God's word. And it's because, it's because God's word refreshes us and God's word is life-giving. If we want to be refreshed by God, we need to know God. We need to know what is true about God. We need to be in his word. For us to not be in God's word regularly is keeping our souls parched and thirsty. But then secondly, the other part of worship that refreshes us Jesus says is spirit. And y'all, you know, I've racked my head about this one word all week long. Some say he's not talking about the Holy Spirit because when you look at the original language, it seems like to be referring to the human spirit, uh, getting at the idea of worshiping with our whole heart, with a full devotion. Um, others have uh, disagreed uh, and said, no, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, I may be wrong about this, uh, but I'm going to say it's both. Because if we profess faith in Jesus, the Spirit is inside of us and makes it all interconnected. Uh, but to make, help make some sense of this, if worshiping in truth is seeing Jesus, like kind of like turning on the light helps us see, uh, it's knowing in our minds, if that's the truth part, then worshiping in spirit is the warmth and devotion of Jesus that we experience with our hearts. It's being, it's being affected and changed by what we know. Because y'all, we, we can know what is true, but yet our hearts and our entire selves uh, still not be in it. We can know the right doctrines, we can know all the right things to say, but yet they may not affect our hearts. Because if our hearts were in it, we would be changed by them and our lives would look very different. But again, this may, this may sound good, but how do we worship with all of our heart? And yes, there's a zeal and a passion that I think comes with this, but I think if we were to keep pulling back the layers, I think we could agree that it's not so easy just to like believe harder. Like, do we just say a Bible verse louder? Do we just say it with more passion? Is that what we do? Well, maybe, um, but I do think it's more than that. And it's not so much believing harder, but I think we could say it's yielding and submitting more. To say it more directly, a fully devoted heart that worships in spirit and in truth is a heart that knows what is true and then yields and submits to it. Maybe we could say it this way. A fully devoted heart is a fully submitted heart. Again, what Jesus is showing the woman here is that worship is not about a place. 
or something we do. It's about trusting a person. It's about trusting Jesus. It's not a religion. It's a trusting relationship. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, someone is going to be king of our heart. It's either going to be God or us. And you know what? Satan knows all the right things. He knows what's true. But the difference is Satan doesn't submit to God in his ways. No, Satan's the ruler of his life. Listen, New City Church, every day God wants to refresh our souls. He wants to revive our hearts and he wants to renew our strength. And it comes by going to God in his word, seeing and knowing what is true, and then having our entire life ruled by it. It's like what we talked about last week. Jesus must increase and we must decrease. And in the process, God restores and revives our thirsty souls. Our life is going to be ruled by something. We're going to worship something. We're going to drink from a well because our souls are thirsty. But again, we need to ask, which well are we going to drink from? Will we drink from the truth of God and submit to his ways? Or are we going to drink from those third wells that will keep us continually thirsty? Again, which well are we going to drink from? And you know what happened after this? After this conversation uh, with Jesus and worship and this lady? The woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, it finally all clicked. She got it. Like, look at what happens in verse 28 to 30. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So what did she do? She came to the well searching for water, but then she encountered Jesus, the eternal well of living water. She was in awe of Jesus. She saw his glory. She worshiped, and then she leaves her water jar behind showing that she trusted that Jesus was enough. And what happens? She became, number three, the witness. She said in verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And while she was out in the world as a missionary, we see in verse 31, the disciples came back, they sat down and ate, and Jesus does the same thing with them that he did with this woman. But this time, instead of using water uh, and thirst, he uses food and hunger when he's talking with his disciples. And the disciples ask if anybody brought Jesus food. And Jesus says in verse 34, uh, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is starting to draw their attention to the work that is to be done. He's drawing their attention to his mission, to his purpose and his work, saying there is, uh, this is where his satisfaction comes from. And then he says in verse 35, do you not say that uh, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So Jesus here is explaining to his disciples that what he just did, this conversation he just had with this lady, Jesus plans to do on a much larger scale. Jesus is drawing their attention to all that's around them. He's saying that the fields are ready for harvest. They're ready to be picked. You just need to look. And what, was, what has happened with this one lady who was shamed in an outcast and in a community marked by division, separation, and hostility, she encounters Jesus and her weary soul was revived and refreshed. And Jesus was saying he wants to see this happen over and over and over again, that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are ready to be picked. You just need to look and see and harvest. Look what happens down in verse 39. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So just like at the beginning of, at the t- of our time, we see that this lady came in as a hot mess. She encountered Jesus, was led to worship him, and God made her a missionary. And because of it, a complete revival breaks out in Samaria, a place where before was known to be hated and avoided, and God uses a lady with a messy history and uses her to bring about an awakening and transformation in a city and a place that was marked with incredible hostility. Why? Because this is what God does. God takes those who are wounded and wandering and weary. He provides rest. He restores them. He revives them through worship. He invites them to drink deeply from his well. And then as they are fully yielded to Jesus, God then sends them back out into the world. New City Church, this is what we want to see done over and over and over and over again. We want to see God bring in the brokenhearted. We want to see God revive them and restore them and refresh them with the living water of Jesus, being led to worship Jesus, and then see them go back out into the world by telling people about this living water. This lady was hiding at the noon hour at a well in a hostile city as an outcast ruled by shame. But when she encountered the truth of Jesus, the living water, she was then ruled by Jesus. And she went to run and tell likely all of those that she had been hiding from. She was before adamantly avoiding the masses. But when she tasted and trusting the living water of Jesus, she was led to worship and she runs back out into the masses to tell the world about what she had found and tasted. New City Church, if we want to see a revival in the greater Tampa Bay area, our first call is to drink deeply from the well of Jesus to worship God in spirit and in truth, to regularly be in God's word and to be yielded to it. Because y'all, when we drink the living water of Jesus, God transforms us and makes us missionaries. I believe this so adamantly and so deeply that each and every one of us are missionaries. Every New City member is a missionary. If we drink deeply from the well of Jesus, if we worship Jesus, God makes us missionaries. And those who are yielded to the ways of God, we pray for the lost, we seek to mend the brokenness of the world, we enter into into messes, we step towards conflict and hostility, we go to unreached people groups, and we give generously to that end. We do as we seek to do here uh, on repeat until we die. Make disciples multiply churches, and mobilize missionaries. Why? Because this is the mission of God. I say this often, and every time I say it, I'm just reminded of how true it is. Y'all, a revival in our city, it begins with a revival in our heart. When we encounter Jesus, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, no matter how messed up we are, when we drink deeply from the well of Jesus, God restores us, refreshes us, and he invites us into his work and he makes us missionaries. He sends us to our neighbors and he sends us to the nations. Why? Because this is the heart of God. And you know, after we've gone through this entire story, Acts 1.8, it just comes alive. 
Look what it says. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we, God's people, when we trust in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we become his witnesses here in Tampa and all over the world. That's just what happens. Being a missionary is the call of every Christian, not just who move, those who move across the globe. But you know what? God also calls people to move across the globe. God calls people to be witnesses in hard-to-reach places like Samaria, in places with political tension where racial and ethnic tension runs deep. The gospel crosses the street, it crosses towns, it crosses the globe, and it crosses tense barriers. But in order for that to happen, the gospel must first penetrate our hearts. New City Church, this is why we exist. We exist to see the gospel radically transform lives here in Tampa and around the world. This is why we partner with missionaries in places like South Asia and the Middle East. This is why we partner with church plants in Virginia and the Dominican Republic. And now this year, Halifax, Canada. We do this because what we see done in this story is what we want to see done over and over and over again all over the world until we die. This is the way the mission of God works. This is the work of God. If you're part of New City, this is what God has called us to do. And to that I say, New City Church, look and see that the fields are white for harvest. There are people all around us and around the world that are hurting and looking for living water. And when we get to the end of our life, may we say we did whatever it took to see those who are hurting and wandering and wounded and far from God, that we did whatever we could to help others find the fountain of living water. New City Church, if we profess faith in Jesus, we have the water in our hands. Again, may we do whatever it takes to make sure those around the world and in Tampa Bay can drink deeply from the living water that Jesus Christ provides. Which is one of the many reasons why we're doing our year-end offering. Where we're taking over and above offering, where the first $8,000 we're trying to raise will go outside the walls of our church. And let me assure you, okay, so deeply from the core of my heart, we're not, we're not doing this because we want your money. This has nothing to do with New City Church. We're doing this and we'll continue to do this because God's desire is to see John 4, what we saw today, multiplied all around the world. And there's no doubt about it. The mission of God will only go as far as the generosity of God's people. And if you've never given a dime to New City Church, I want to ask you to let this be the first gift you ever make to our church. And if, and if you have given here, I want to ask and pray and consider to let this be the biggest gift of the year. Yo, we're a young church plant with old chairs that meet in the elementary school cafeteria and we baptize people in a horse trough. Like we need all the financial help we can get. But we're, at, we're so adamantly committed to do whatever it takes to send the gospel around the world and to see John 4 multiplied. We're going to give to missions and church planting to see that happen. And so I want to invite you to begin praying, seeking the Lord, and then also submitting to him and what he may call you give this year. You know, stocks, bonds, crypto, or cash. God uses it all, okay? And so be praying and seeking the Lord of how God may have you give this year. But then lastly, as we end our time. We're going to see here in a second with baptism. You know, no doubt about it, this is a picture of what we want to see multiplied here in Tampa and around the world. Because baptism is a picture of life transformation similar to how we saw in our story. Symbolizing that the old life is gone and the new life with Christ, it is here. 
we're gonna, we'll explain more about baptism after the next song, but for today's purposes, what we've seen today, I think it's fair to say that they're, they're declaring with all of us, hey, we're all, with these people that we're baptizing, we're all now missionaries. They're missionaries. They were, they were once lost, but they've, they found the living water and God has eternally restored them. They're now missionaries. New City Church, God is in the business of redeeming, restoring, and reviving the hearts of people from all walks of life. And this, my friends, is what we want to see multiplied over and over and over again uh, all over the world. And I hope you'll join me in praying and giving to that end. Let's pray. God, you're good. You are in the business of restoring lives, you taking people from all walks of life, providing for us the living water of Jesus, restoring us, and then releasing us back out into the world. Father, would, you, uh, would we just celebrate today all that you have done among us and you're continuing to do among us? Father, we need your help. We're so thankful for how you're moving. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.